Hey, True Crime Guys listeners. This is Torella. And this is Tori from Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. Because you're listening to this show, we already know three things about you. But like, not, not in a creepy way, of course. You love true crime. You like to take a deep dive into cases in a way that's like talking with friends. And you have excellent taste in podcasts. And we would love for you to check out our show. We're sisters who've been fascinated with true crime since we were in high school watching marathons of Snapped, Cold Case Files, and American Justice with our dad. We also infuse our love of the 90s, which is the decade that is all that in a bag of chips, if you ask us, and obscure movie and TV quotes into the cases we cover. Our listeners say that it feels just like talking about a case with your best friends. It's light, sassy, fun, but always respectful. And just in case you're wondering, we super hate Casey Anthony so much. So if you need like a regular time to vent about the garbage that is Casey Anthony, you'll fit right in. So if you like a lighter take on your true crime discussions with some witty banter and Southern accents mixed in, find Killer Queens wherever you listen to podcasts. Lilas, which is, you know, love you like a sister from the 90s. Yeah. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Uh, Lauren, that's typically where you come in, right? Lauren? Oh, shit, that's right. Lauren's camping in Utah this week. Uh, great. Uh, yeah, so I guess I'll hold it down. Uh, hey, everybody, welcome back to True Crime Guys podcast. In case you haven't noticed, this is a slightly different format today. Slightly different is a uh, slight understatement. It's going to be very different. Okay, since Lauren's away, I'm going to give you guys a little sneak peek you free lotus get a little sneak peek into true crime guys productions patreon content so here's what we're gonna do to start off the show i'm gonna let you guys hear an episode of strange shorts strange shorts is a show that i host on the strange and unexplained patreon page so i'm gonna let you guys hear episode three of strange shorts then from there we will hear the Boy in the Chimney, True Crime Guys Patreon exclusive. The Boy in the Chimney, one of our favorite episodes ever. Um, that was Lauren's idea, you know, since he's off camping. It's not you guys' fault that we're not here to record some new shit. So at least the freeloaders get to hear some new stuff. And of course, anyone who's not a patron of Strange and Unexplained will also get to hear some new things. Um, but after The Boy in the Chimney, we're going to round out this episode of True Crime Guys with an episode of The Palette Cleanser. Palette Cleanser Installment 4 will be played at the end of The Boy in the Chimney. So you guys stick around for that. This is uh, Hopefully this will be a very entertaining episode for you guys and, uh, you know, something to keep you busy this week while Lauren's off having fun and uh, I'm working on other shit. So without further ado, here is Strange Shorts, Episode 3 from the Strange and Unexplained Patreon. Welcome, my friends, 
Hello and welcome back to Strange Shorts. Uh, this is episode three. Guys, this week I want to talk about some strange uh, twin connection or um, maybe, what's the word I'm looking for? Maybe like, this may be the only case that I know of where a person has passed on a mental illness or at least it seemed that way to another person. Now, these two women are twins, okay? They are, um, they are twin, they look, they are identical twins. They look alike. Um, so that may play into this a little bit. They, they did have a close relationship like most twins do, um, but they didn't even live in the same place. Um, but they made headlines in 2008. This is an article, um, from ranker.com, and it's an article about the Erickson twins. And it says, the Swedish Ericsson twins made headlines in 2008 after a series of strange events took place in the United Kingdom. The truly bizarre story in its aftermath has left authorities and physicians puzzled. What exactly happened that caused the twins to snap? Did they really experience a shared psychosis? Ultimately, the only people who can know what happened to the Ericsson sisters are Ursula and Sabrina themselves. But their strange case is darkly fascinating all the same. All right. So all this craziness happened in May of 2008. Um, Ursula, she had been living in the U.S. And she had decided to visit her twin sister Sabrina in County Cork, Ireland. And within 24 hours of her arrival, they decided to take a ferry to Liverpool. Now this may be... This may have been the plan all along, was to go and spend some time in Liverpool in England. Um, I'm not sure. But... That's not really the strange part. I mean, the fact that you you go and you meet her with tw- in 24 hours, whatever, then you want to travel. Maybe that was the whole point, is that they're getting together to travel. But upon arriving um, in the English port city, the twins paid a visit to the St. Anne Street Police Station to report concerns over Sabrina's children. Or Sabina. I'm sorry, I keep saying Sabrina because I've never heard the name Sabina before. Uh, Maybe it's a Swedish name, I'm not sure. Um, It's so easy for me to add the R in there, but it's actually Sabina. Um, So the twins go to St. Anne Street Police Station to report concerns over Sabina's children, whom she had left with her partner back in Ireland. Um, From there, the Erickson sisters boarded a National Express coach to London, where their behavior would take a much more erratic turn. Now, I don't... It doesn't really go into detail over what the concerns were um, uh, over her children. I I don't understand what that was about. Um, Maybe they were just letting uh, the authorities know that, that Sabina had children in Ireland that would need to be looked after if they are able to complete whatever it is that they're doing here. Um, But maybe we'll find out more about that later. So, not long after the twins boarded the coach to London, Ursula and Sabina began acting strangely. Reportedly, the twins had refused to check their bags and became enraged when the bus staff attempted to take them from them. The bus stopped at a service station on the M6 in Staffordshire, or Staffordshire, 
I'm not sure how the British pronounce that. I'm sure it's something much shorter than that. Um, they don't say the full word Shire, as I'm aware. I think it's Staffordshire, probably. And the driver, who had been uh, perturbed by their behavior, kicked the twins off. Sabina and Ursula were now stranded. So they start walking down the M6 motorway, like right in the middle. So you got your your lane, your three or four lanes head in one direction. You got your three or four lanes head in the other. And in the middle, there is a median of grass with guardrail on each side. And it's about six feet wide, give or take. And they are walking down that. So needless to say, this road is not designed for pedestrians. Uh, you're not supposed to walk um, down the middle of two, highways, two highways, um, especially or two roads rather, especially if those two roads make up the M6, one of the biggest interstates um, in England, from what I can tell. Uh, yeah, the road is not designed for pedestrians in any way. So motorists that were riding down the road became concerned. So they started notifying police. More and more people were notifying that, you know, there's two women um, walking down the middle of the M6 and something is going on. So, of course, before the police arrive, um, TV crews arrive, of course. So after receiving calls about two women disrupting traffic and causing chaos on the M6, local authorities went to investigate. The particular group of police that responded had a film crew in tow. How lucky is this, right? Who were shooting a reality television show called Motorway Cops. So it's basically like the English version of Cops or Live PD or whatever. Um, so they had cameras in hand. They captured the, the everything that happened. Um, expecting to arrive at a scene of multiple fatalities because at this point um, they had already learned that the women were running out into the road. Okay, they were they were not just walking in the median; they were they were being very careless in crossing the M6, running back and forth, or whatever they were doing at this time. So the police were expecting to arrive at a scene of multiple fatalities, but they were surprised to see the two women unharmed when they arrived. Um, as officers tried to calm the twins, Ursula suddenly darts into traffic. And there's video of this on YouTube. It's insane. They're standing there with these officers. Now at this time, there is, I think there's already um, a couple officers on scene and then, or maybe a paramedic, um, another another film crew. And then this officer, these this partner of officers, these two officers show up. They have the film crew um, from Motorway Cops. Right, so when they show up, that's that's really the best footage because I guess the cameras are much better. Um, so most of the videos you'll see are actually from the motorway cops' cameras. But when they show up, the women look fine. Like they're they're, you know, they have their um, the police have given them other jackets to keep them warm, like big um, reflective material jackets, like bright yellow jackets, so they stand out. And they're all standing on the side of the road and they're all talking and and being calm. It seems like everything is. Everything is good. Um, but suddenly, Ursula just darts back into the traffic and it, straight across the three lanes. Like, the cars are not slowing down at all. They don't have any ro- any lanes um, blocked off at this time because there's no need to. There's, there's no reason to stop the traffic, right? So Ursula darts into traffic and she is struck by a transfer truck, a semi, an 18-wheeler, whatever you want to call it. She is struck by basically... Her body is thrown around the wheels of the trailer like a rag doll. Like that is no that's no exaggeration. There's video, you can see it. 
Um, and immediately after Ursula runs out into the road, Sabrina, or Sabina, I'm sorry. God, I, I, I got to say that right. Sabina followed her, and she was hit by a smaller vehicle, but still hit extremely hard. Her body was thrown into the air. She was hit by, like I would say, the equivalent of like a Ford Focus or a Honda Civic. I would say something around that size. Um, but she somersaulted over the hood and windshield before landing in the third lane of traffic. And both women were unconscious at this time, obviously, and suffered multiple injuries, but were still alive. Still alive. The article goes on to say, As the Erickson sisters lay on the asphalt of the M6, severely wounded from being struck by vehicles, police and paramedics scrambled to their aid. Ursula's legs were crushed, leaving her immobilized. And what was crazy about Ursula, though, is she actually came to first. Her legs are, like, crushed. Who is calling me? Who's calling me during this recording? My dad. I'll call him back. All right. So Sabina's legs... I'm sorry. Ursula's legs were crushed, but her upper body was, like, wide open. It was like she had no idea that her lower body was practically unusable in every sense. She couldn't get up. She couldn't move. But yet she's still spitting at police, uh, swinging, grabbing at them, whatever she can do. Now, Sabina was unconscious for about 15 minutes. But as the emergency responders attempted to help the twins, they became extremely resistant. Like I said, Sabina began screaming, they're going to steal your organs or quote, they're going to steal your organs and telling paramedics, quote, I recognize you. I know you're not real. Right? That is insane. As if they don't have enough problems to deal with, now they're dealing with people that they're trying to help who don't even think that they exist. <laughs> it's, guys, I don't, I don't even know where to begin with this. So Sabina suddenly displayed almost superhuman strength. Okay, obviously Sabina did not, is not the one with crushed legs. She's the one that got hit by the smaller sedan. Uh, she rose to her feet and punched a female officer, like straight up, like left hooks her and knocks her to the ground. She then ran back into the middle of the motorway. Though it took several police officers and paramedics, Sabina was finally subdued, but she ran over the median and was running into the other direction of traffic because they weren't stopped. Right, the, the road that they ran into, obviously, is completely stopped at this point. But the other side, heading the other direction, is still going fine. But now she runs over there, and because of all the commotion on the other side and people you know, naturally slowing down, rubbernecking, checking out, seeing what's going on, they're able to slam on their brakes in time, all three lanes, really, to not hit Sabina again, even though she really tried. I mean, she all but ran into a car. Um, so they were able to subdue her, but it not only took the work of the officers, um, it also took work of a couple bystanders, a couple citizens who were in their cars. And you see this quite a few times in this story where a good Samaritan comes out of nowhere and really, really helps them, like genuinely wants to help them. And that, that really made me feel good about this story. Um, and, and that's not always the case. Um, especially here in America, there's a lot of people who, 
who say, well, you know, that's not my business, you know, or just because that person's crazy, just because that person wants to harm themselves, that's not my business. I'm not going to put me myself in harm's way. But these people did. So reading on here, it says the term folia do. I'm going to say folia do or folia do. Um, I think it's a French term, if I'm not mistaken. But it's used to describe a shared psychological disorder wherein two people who are typically related, probably not typically, probably not twins, typically. Um, but I would imagine, uh, just out of common sense, I would imagine that this bond would be stronger. Um, and this order, this, this psychological disorder that they share would be stronger, okay? So it's wherein two people, typically related, experience a shared delusion. It's extremely rare clinical disorder, and is thought to be what may have occurred to the Erickson sisters. The twins were hospitalized in a mental facility following their apprehension, through doc- though doctors were unable to pinpoint the delusion or the reason Ursula and Sabina continually leapt in front of traffic. Ursula would end up spending three months in the psychiatric facility, while Sabina would be released back into society after a short stay. Um, that was a decision that proved catastrophically short-sighted. Um, Sabina was just not ready to enter society yet. But in all fairness, the, in the video and in the interviews and the way she was acting, she seemed fine. She seemed perfectly fine. This was almost like, if this was some sort of mental disorder or psychotic break, it was almost like that sometimes the channel would change. Like the channel would change to something peaceful in their brain and then it would change to psychotic, I don't trust anyone, you're not real, and then back to normal. And it was just like time periods because during those time periods of, of chaos, they couldn't be controlled. There was no talking to them because they weren't even sure if you were real. Actually, they were convinced that they were not. Okay, so you can see how there was no, there was no bringing this down. There was no... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Diffusing the situation with them at this state. Okay. So, so what happens? Just days after her arrest, on May 17, 2008, Sabina was released by authorities. And as she wandered the streets of Stoke-on-Trent, she encountered two men walking a dog and asked where she might find a bed and breakfast. Glenn Hollinshead, a 54-year-old licensed paramedic, invited Sabina into his home for the evening. Back at Mr. Hollandhead's home, where his friend Peter Malloy was also visiting, Erickson's behavior became increasingly bizarre. She offered the men cigarettes, but quickly snatched them from their mouths, claiming they were poisoned, and she routinely peered out the window as though on the lookout for someone. Now, um, Mr. Hollandhead's he's, he's the owner of the home. Uh, his friend, okay, what was his name? Peter Malloy. Peter Malloy was like on to Sabina at the beginning. Not as in like, I. well, yeah, I guess as in I don't trust her, but also as in there's something not right here. You know, and, and when you hear about this behavior, snatching cigarettes, peering out the window, it kind of seems obvious, right? It seems, it seems very skeptical to say the least. Um, but Malloy left his friend and his ga- guest uh, late that evening, and the next day, 
Sabina, in a fit of unexplained rage, stabbed Holland's head five times with a butcher knife. And she, she killed him. She took his life. After murdering Glenn's, Glenn Holland's head, Sabina, Sabina fled the scene. She had taken a hammer from her victim's home and was spotted on a road nearby, repeatedly hitting herself over the head with the hammer. Now, in the reenactment, they showed this hammer as like a rubber mallet type hammer. And I, but I, I'm not convinced that's what it was. Now, maybe that would make a little more sense because you, I think a person could take a lot more blows to the head from a rubber mallet than they could a, you know, a steel like carpentry hammer. I mean, that would make a little more sense, I guess. But she had taken the hammer um, from Mr. Holland's head's home and was spotted on a road nearby, repeatedly hitting herself. A passionate motorist stopped in an effort to help the clearly troubled woman. Here we go again. We have another good Samaritan that's like, whoa, what the fuck is going on? Like, <laughs> I've seen a lot of crazy shit when I lived in Vegas. And I've seen crazy shit here in, in my hometown, in the South. And I've seen in Charlotte, in other areas around, in Atlanta. Um, it, Stuff, honestly about this about this level of crazy i've seen i've seen homeless hurting themselves in vegas and and i and i and i didn't intervene i don't think most people do because i feel like they think well if that's what they want to do to themselves then they should and, and in a way i'm i'm a believer as long as you're not causing harm to others you should be able to do what you want but at a certain point we can't let people just harm themselves right? I mean, especially if it's a mental illness, if it's something that they can't help. And so I applaud these these good Samaritans in this case, uh, Mr. Hollinshead, for taking her in and trying to give her a safe place. And then also um, the gentleman that stopped, stopped her from hitting herself over the head. Um, his name was Joshua Gradich. He was a passing motorist and he stopped to help her. Um, Erickson ended up hitting him over the head with another weapon that, that she had um, from Mr. Holland's head's home, and it was a piece of roof tile. She had it in her pocket, I guess like a piece of like terracotta roof tile or, or something like that. Uh, usually that stuff is very heavy, right? It's, it's weatherproof. It's got to last years. Um, tiles of any kind in Vegas, uh, terracotta style roof tiles were very popular, and I'd imagine getting hit in the head with one of those uh, would not feel very good. So I imagine it was something similar to that. Um, but she hit him on the head with a roof tile and got away from him again. Paramed but he got the hammer, though. So he took the hammer. Um, but paramedics soon got involved and gave chase to the fugitive, who, well, she's now a fugitive, right? Sabina, who attempted to flee by jumping off a 40-foot bridge onto the A50 motorway. And check this out. Though she suffered numerous fractures, she survived and was arrested and charged with murder, right? Now, listen, I don't, I never condone murder or any type of acting out like this, but I, I'm glad that this woman survived. I really am, because this is, ob if there is ever um, a case for the plea of ins insanity, this is it, right? This is it. There's no, I feel like this is a no-brainer. 
So here's how it went down. Sabina Erickson was charged with the murder of Glenn Hollinshead on September 11, 2008. Her trial began September 1, 2009. It was stalled due to difficulty obtaining her medical records from Sweden. Uh, like I said before, they were both originally from Sweden. Um, Erickson pleaded guilty to manslaughter due to diminished responsibility. She never explained her actions and only responded to police questions with no comment. Every single question, no comment. Sabina's defense team argued that she had suffered from folia du, like I was talking about earlier. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, or a shared psychosis with her twin sister, Ursula, causing her to have intense delusions during the committal of her crimes. The judge determined that she had low culpability for her crimes due to her diminished state, and she was sentenced to only five years in prison. Okay? So let's back up a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about Glenn, Hol Glenn Hollinshead, okay? His family was extremely unhappy with the outcome of Sabina Erickson's trial. Why, they wondered. Had the woman been released from psychiatric care just two days after apparently attempting to kill herself on the M6? That's a great question. But according to the video evidence and the interviews, she did seem perfectly fine. Like not even, not only was she seemed together and there she was, she was flirty and she was um, funny. Like she was cracking jokes uh, with these officers and these psychiatric ward uh, workers and employees. Like she... She seemed very level-headed, like everything was okay, okay? So they were, they were very upset about that, about her being released so early. Now, Ursula, she reportedly went back to the United States after the incident, while Sabina was released on parole in 2011. It's believed she returned to Europe. However, her whereabouts are still currently unknown. I'm sure both of them are laying pretty low, um, like I said, Ursula is back here in the U.S. No idea where she is. Um, but as for exactly what happened that set off the bizarre chain of his events for the twin Erickson sisters, that remains a mystery. And when asked for a possible explanation, Detective and Superintendent Dave Garrett had this to say. He said, quote, The reasons for the two events may never be truly known or understood, but the taking of Glenn's life was a violent and senseless act. So, I mean, that's that's clear. And if they're if danger to society, maybe she doesn't deserve um, to be in prison for the rest of her life. But I still think she should have undergone a lot more psychiatric care um, right after she tried to hurt herself. And I, I honestly don't understand why more emphasis is not put on people who try to hurt themselves. That is very unclear to me. I don't understand why some, if someone is willing to kill themselves and injure themselves, what makes you think they're not a danger to anyone else? If someone is willing to take their life and end this whole earthly experience, then they are capable of anything. Does that make sense? I feel like the fear of death the fear of losing your quality of life, I feel like that is what keeps most people sane. That's what keeps most people grounded. But when you have someone, regardless of whether it's a temporary state 
or if it's all the time, especially if it's all the time, Jesus, they need to be, they need some help. But even if it's a temporary state, especially one that comes and goes, there needs to be a, a longer period of time. Do they need to be treated like criminals? No, but they need to be watched. They need to be supervised. They need to be helped. Um, I just, I find it unacceptable that they are released back into society and everybody's like, we don't know what happened. We don't know. Could happen again. But some, uh, some psychiatrist, like one that they interviewed, um, there's a, there's a, like a 60 minute special on it. I think it's like, there's like a 20 minute video of it on YouTube, I believe, but it's done by 60 minutes. And they, the psychiatrist that they interviewed in there, he talked about how it could have been brought on by the sisters being together. Maybe one of them was borderline having these this psychosis event or whatever, and then having the other one there, they kind of fed off each other's energy. And, you know, when you have someone else who believes the same way you do, and when you surround yourself with people who believe the same way you do, it's kind of it's kind of intoxicating and it could be good and it could be bad. And I think in their case, it's, it was, it was very, very bad, obviously, but I just don't understand. It's like, it's almost like they're saying, as long as these two stay apart, we should be fine. And one, one lives in Europe and one lives in America. So they got the whole pond in the, in between them, right? They should be fine. But you can't tell me these sisters don't want to see each other again. They're going to want to meet up and see they're twins. They're twins. Biologically, they are the same. It, it just baffles me. This is, this is truly um, one of the strangest cases I've come across. And um, I hope you guys enjoyed this. this there's, and like I said, got to check out the video online. Check out the video on YouTube. There's, there's many different videos, but the one done by 60 Minutes is phenomenal. Uh, there's lots of police interviews. Um, there's, there's lots of real footage thanks to that show that I was telling you that they were filming. Um, and there's just a lot of, a lot of expert interviews. There's, there's the policemen that were there, the policemen that were on scene. You get to hear what, what they thought and what they saw coming up on this. And you know, it was real refreshing though. Um, especially being an American, it was refreshing to see the way that their police force reacted to this as opposed to American police. Even the demeanor of the police officers in the car, one was a man and one was a woman, um, and even their demeanor made me feel like I trusted them. It made me feel safer. Uh, I don't, there's an ambulance going by my house right now. Sorry about that, guys. Um, but it made me feel safer. Just, it, it, I feel like if I was in their custody, I would... I would feel like they have my best interest in mind. Like, for instance, when... Oh, Jesus, here's another one. What's going on? Anyways, that was a fire truck. But it made me feel... Like, when they picked up Sabina from the psych ward, right? Or from the... Um, from the police station. They took her there first. When they picked her up from the police station to take her to the two days of psychiatric evaluation... They didn't even handcuff her. They talked to her first, right? They realized she wasn't a threat. Okay, obviously they had more than one officer on scene, so if something did happen, they would be able to subdue her. 
and they out they outdid her in numbers, obviously, but she still they still just walked her out like a person and opened the door for her. She got in the police car by herself. It's just it was a different view of the police force and how it works. It truly felt like they were invested in her well-being and trying to get help for her. They they had empathy. Okay, and I'm not saying that every American police officer does not. But when you watch, I'm pretty sure watching an episode of that show Motorway Cops um is probably a lot different than watching cops in America. I'm just going to say you could just tell when they got there they just treated these women even though they just got reports that these women sporadically ran into traffic they still treated them with respect they talked to them they found out their names they they were they were calming they were they were telling them they were saying calming things they weren't screaming at them with guns or tasers drawn they weren't they didn't immediately handcuff them and put them on the ground it was none of that now, in hindsight, maybe they should have when they arrived because then they wouldn't be able to run back into traffic and get mauled by an 18-wheeler and a you know, Ford Fiesta. But that's, that's just the chance you take. When people want to harm themselves, there's, there's only so much you can do, I think. But anyways, in a nutshell, I was, I was really proud. Uh, even though I'm not English, I was, I mean, I guess I'm English descent, <laughs> but I was very proud of the way that those police officers, I, I was, I admired them in the way that they dealt with the situation. So, um, that's just something else I took away from the story. But guys, I hope you enjoyed this uh, strange short. It's definitely uh, a wormhole that you can go down, you can look in, um, and there's other cases like this. They are not the only ones. So, if you enjoyed this case, maybe I could look into some other ones. Um, and if you have any ideas for strange shorts, if you have any interesting articles, maybe even if there's not a lot of info, send it to me. I like to I like to pick these apart. I like to analyze these. I like to see what I can learn um, and see what could be good entertainment. But I want to thank you guys for listening as always. And uh, remember, be strange. Just don't be a stranger. See you next time. Let's talk about our newest sponsor, Raycon. Whether you're working from home or working on your fitness, you want what you're listening to to be what you're listening to, not what your roommates, your children, etc., are listening to. In my case, I can listen to my murder documentaries and watch them on my laptop while keeping an eye on my kids while they are watching something else more appropriate for children and have my earbuds in. That's so handy. It's so nice. Yeah, I got my Raycons in and I'm listening to, you know, whatever heinous crimes are going on on the on the screen on my laptop right. and the kids have no clue. You know, they think I'm just watching Right, uh, they're sitting right beside yeah, you. Yeah, they think I'm watching Paw Patrol with them. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Perfect. Everyone's everyone's right. happy. <laughs> Everyone needs a great pair of wireless earbuds, but before you drop hundreds of dollars on a pair, check out wireless earbuds from Raycon. You already know Raycon earbuds start off at about half the price of any other premium wireless earbuds on the market, and they sound just as amazing as other top audio brands you know. Their newest model, the Everyday E25 earbuds, are the best ones yet, with six hours of playtime, seamless Bluetooth pairing, more bass, and more compact design that gives you a nice noise-isolating fit. We got ours about two weeks ago in the mail, thanks to Raycon for that, and I am loving them, man. They are definitely a game-changer when it comes to just doing yard work, working out, 
I'll talk a little bit more about working out with yes. them in, in a minute. But yeah, how, how you loving yours? They're so convenient. Like the, how, yeah, how quick they connect and everything. You just open the pack, you put them in your ears, and you're ready to go. Yeah, I love that the I love that the case charges them for you. I've I've only had to charge the case one time, and the, every time I put my earbuds back in the case, it charges them up again. So it's just like charging is almost never a problem. They're they're definitely the best fitting. I have kind of I feel like I have odd shaped ear holes. I don't know, but they they always they also have different sizes in there as well, which I think is important because everyone's ear holes I think are different. But they stay in they stay in no matter what I'm doing. Raycon's wireless earbuds are so comfortable, perfect for conference calls or binging podcasts. Wearing my Raycon everyday E25s while working out lately has been a game changer for me. No wires getting caught up and pulling the earbuds out of my ears. They stay up in my ears no matter what I'm doing. So yesterday I was jumping rope with my E25s in and perfect. Didn't come out. Nice. Um, no that was problems. a gamble. No interruptions. Right? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the ultimate test, right? Jumping rope or, or yeah. running. But jumping rope, I think, even more because you're bouncing up and down repeatedly. Unlike some of your other wireless options, Raycon earbuds are both stylish and discreet with no dangling wires or stems to distract anyone during uh, video calls. I, I also like the, the look of them as well. I'm not a big fan of the some of the competitors, the way that they kind of dangle down. I think right. They're so visible. These yeah. are a little, they just look like regular earbuds with no wires coming out of them. Right. They fit perfectly very in that stylish. opening of your ear. They're very discreet. Yeah. I like that. The too. company was co founded by Ray J and other celebrities like Snoop Dogg, Mike Tyson, and Rich the Kid are obsessed with Raycons. So here's the call to action for all the creepers out there. Now's the time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon. Get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com slash creeper. That's buyraycon.com slash creeper for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. Buyraycon.com slash creeper. All right, guys, uh, welcome back to the present. I hope you enjoyed that little strange short on the Swedish twins. Um, that was episode three of Strange Shorts. There are five current episodes available on the Strange and Unexplained Patreon page. And I try to do one at least every other week. Um, all right. So let's move on to our next segment of this non-traditional episode of True Crime Guys. Now I'm going to play you guys The Boy in the Chimney. One of our favorite episodes, um, maybe ever, that me and Lauren have done. The conversations that we had, the speculation, the case in general. Um, this is one of those cases that just captivates you. And your theories start to run wild. So, um, of course, I cut out all the the Patreon banter at the beginning and at the end, the Patreon shoutouts and things like that. So you guys are just going to get to hear the core of the story. You don't get to hear a lot of that that pre-show mumbo-jumbo that's saved for the patrons. But nonetheless, you get to hear the bulk of the story, the intro, that side, that type of thing, right? So, here we go. I present to you The Boy in the Chimney. New information tonight about a body found in the chimney of an abandoned cabin in Woodland Park. The coroner's office confirms it is a man who disappeared seven years ago. Construction crews found the remains of Joshua Maddox in the chimney as they were preparing to demolish it. Investigators say Maddox may have been trying to shimmy down that chimney and got stuck. Joshua was 18 when he disappeared. His family is devastated by the news, but grateful for closure. I am relieved that we finally are able to give him a proper, proper burial and um, because that's what he deserves. The death has been ruled an accident. One who is truly kind is so hard to find. 
And when such a soul lives, inspiration it gives. No matter how short a life, it is profound if lived right. But the world is unfair, and often too much to bear. Tragedy does not discriminate whether one loves or hates, but takes as it pleases, sometimes with no justice and no reason. Although a body is gone, an idea lives on. A spirit continues to inspire long after the ashes and fire. You don't have to be old, you see, to leave a great legacy, one that will enrich and inspire long after your life has expired. The death has been ruled an accident, an accident. All right, our case this week, you may or may not have heard about it. It's uh, the boy in the chimney case. Um, not really well known, but man, it's it's got a lot of mystery raveled up in it, but it's there's also some conclusion to it. Uh, we have a direction we feel it, it, it should have gone and may still go at some point because the right. person we think that committed this, what we believe to be a crime. See, it could have either been an accident that was tragic or... A murder, and we believe it's a murder, and we believe the person that committed this murder is walking the streets right now. Um, I agree. With at least another murder or two in his bag that he didn't go down for, so it's a pretty unbelievable story um, that didn't have enough police investigation done behind it, and that's what's really tragic about it. And a lot of destroyed evidence too early as well. Yeah. To be fair, to be fair to the police, to be far, to be far, <laughs> to be far. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I mean, we feel like, uh, I don't know, I just got sucked into this case this week, and I, I just was passionate about it, and I wanted to do it. And also, we uh, we do a lot of the heavy hitters on Patreon, but you guys also, I'm sure half the patrons love the lesser-known cases as well, so why not give you guys one of those? Right, because a lot of the patrons are, are you know, true crime deep divers, man. Yes. You know, they've, they've heard and heard and heard a lot of the big cases. And I know people have said that they like to hear us talk about, you know, the, those cases and hear our takes, but... This is this is a fresh case that I don't think a lot of people know about, and this is I'm actually excited to bring this case to yeah, the light. And act- I feel like it should be more well known. Yeah, and after deciding to do it and studying it and doing the crime line and all that, I actually did that. I had that moment where usually I'll I'll type in a case into the podcast apps and just see who's done it and. Uh, I'll do that right off the bat. And this time I forgot to do it. And I was, it was one of those moments where I'm like, come on. I was nervous typing it in. I didn't want to see all of the heavy hitters that had already done it. You know, all of the biggest right. true crime podcasts. And I was like so happy to see that like a couple have done it and ones I've never, podcasts I've never heard of. So most likely you guys have not heard a podcast done on this case before. Awesome. So that, that's, that's something good too. You always like to see that, that, you know, you're not just presenting the same shit that, uh, you know, cause a lot of the podcast listeners we have, they listen to true crime garage or whoever else as well. Mm-hmm. So, right. Yeah. I was, I was smitten to see that like those, those podcasts haven't done this one. So I'm surprised, honestly. Right. Yeah. Cause it's just so, it's so true crimey, isn't it? It gives you that feeling. It gives you that eerie feeling. And there's there's just a little bit of everything to it, and that the you just, there's still some so many things that are unknown and unsolved about it. So, and it's also very relatable because it's it's fairly recent. Yeah, it is no, very recent. And actually, the person Joshua Maddox, who we're talking about, who was the boy in the chimney, reminded me of you actually, and he's about your same age. Yeah. Um, and he's a, you know, I would consider you a free spirit. He was a musician. He loved playing guitar and I could picture you in high school being a little bit like this dude. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I I felt I felt like we would be friends. Yeah, did you feel like you guys were like kindred like, spirits man. almost by studying him? I was like, I'm bummed this dude's not alive anymore. <laughs> right, sucks. Yeah, he was born uh, two months after me, March he, of 1990. I was born. He in He was actually born 90. four days after my wife. Wow. My wife is March 5th, 1990. He's March 9th, 1990. And he shares a birthday with Little Bow Wow and Steve Wilkos. <laughs> Who's Steve Wilkos? I feel dumb for not knowing who that is, but I can't picture him off the top Steve of Wilkos is, is the bald guy who used to be Jerry Springer's bodyguard on, on, on the Springer show, and then he went and got his own Jerry Springer-esque show. He looks okay. like Mr. Clean. He's the big, bald guy. I don't feel so bad for not knowing he, who he is now. So yeah. You know good. who he is now? <laughs> yeah. Okay. But I don't feel so bad for not being able to recollect, oh, recollect okay. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's not like an A-list celebrity. No, right. But Bill Bow Wow, awesome. man, he's still doing stuff. I seen him on, uh, I follow Snoop Dogg on Instagram, of course. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't, I guess. But he puts up stuff, you know, sometimes about Lil Bow Wow. And uh, it seems like uh, Bow Wow started his own business and he's more of just an Instagram and uh, influencer now, which is, yeah. isn't that cool about our society now? It's like, if you have any fame at all, you can become an influencer. It's like, if everything you do goes to shit, just just go get some social media accounts. Yeah. It's always a backup plan now. It really is. Yeah, if, it really if TV is. producers and shit won't accept you anymore, you can just go do your own thing. It's the beauty just of the internet. Just go do your own damn thing. There's nothing stopping you, man. That's the beautiful thing about the internet and the world we live in. It's like, if you're not, if you want to put out content and you're an artist, you can do it. Even if you're not an artist, shit. If you just want to put out weird shit, you can. If you're a couple of schmucks like us, you can do it. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Steve Wilkos, I mean, though, I feel months. like he he's like one of those guys that was never supposed to be a celebrity, but he, or I, I wouldn't even call him a celebrity, but he was never supposed to be a known individual. He was like such an average guy. Uh, and mm-hmm. proof of that is that he was a bodyguard for, you know, a television day show or whatever, TV day show. Um, right. And then he got his own show. But I mean, I feel like he's the voice of reason for like, for celebrities or whatever. Like, I, I always feel like everything he says, I'm like, yeah, that's just a reasonable take, Steve. Thank you. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I love him. You just think like a normal person because that's yeah. what you are because you should not be a celebrity. <laughs> yeah, he's like a younger buffer uh, Dr. Phil almost. There you go. Wow, man. He he was really uh, being underutilized by Jerry Springer, huh? Yeah. Wow. But Jerry, Jerry gave him Jerry the springboard really to go back. start his own show, so that's awesome too. Jerry Springer, yeah, also true. awesome guy. Like. I don't know. He's he is hilarious. Like, he was on ridiculousness and he was just killing it. Like he's just naturally funny as shit. Really? Yeah, he was on there I feel and, like and he... I I still remember because I laughed my ass off. It was the first thing that that uh uh Rob asked him. He was just like cuz they he came in, you know, Rob introduced him to ridiculousness and he walked down the aisle and everybody right. was going Jerry, Jerry and and Rob <laughs> was like that has to happen everywhere you go, right? And he was like, yeah. And sometimes it's it's not all that great because like when he said he was at a baseball game or something and uh, he went to the bathroom and you know, there's those lines of men and it was his turn to go take a piss and he went over there and everybody started cheering him on. He's like, it's a lot of pressure. I'm an old man. Like, <laughs> just, <laughs> imagine the you're standing at the urinal and everyone's like cheering Jerry. Jerry. <laughs> oh, man. Poor Jerry. Yeah. Yeah, that's gotta that's gotta suck. I sense him as being a very sarcastic humor, though. Is he? He is. He's very seen dry, it all, sarcastic. dude. I mean, there's nothing that's gonna surprise him. So he's just got that dry sense of humor. Yep, that's that's what I get. That's what I get from him. Yeah, he's 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 great at that. You could tell because he would subtly make fun of his guest, which was too easy. Yes, in my he opinion. would. Right? I mean, so God. Great. 
I mean, you did a show where people were constantly tossing you softball jokes. Yeah. I mean, you had the the weirdos of the weirdos on that show. So right. apologize to anyone if you were on that show. I mean, I know they it's written and it's filmed to make you look like a weirdo. I mean, that's just how they do it. It's just the way it's produced. I wouldn't worry opinion. too much about it, Michael. I, I doubt we have any listeners of our show who were ever on the on the Jerry Springer show. <laughs> I think you're yeah. okay there. Uh, yeah, I think so too. <laughs> I'm just saying, <laughs> you never know, man. Yeah. You never know. All you right, to so, get people from somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Joshua Vernon Maddox was born on March 9th, 1990. He lived in Woodland Park, Colorado. Seemed like a beautiful little town, um, yeah, not far from Colorado it Springs, is, probably. Um, still is a beautiful town, from what we can tell. Google Maps and stuff. Yes, yeah. still His, a beautiful uh, little town. He he's around. He would have been around the same age as us at this point if he um, hadn't uh, had an untimely death many years ago, which is why we're talking about this. His parents were divorced at the time, um, and he lived with his father and two sisters, Kate and Ruth. Um, Joshua was a free spirit who loved to spend time in nature. He was a musician and writer as well as did uh, did well academically. Um, his sister, one of his sisters described him, and this gives you a good insight into who he was as a person. She said he had a high IQ and spent most of his time writing fictional stories and playing music. He also had an interesting and unique sense of style. People in high school uh, class, people in his high school class knew him for being that awesome kid who wore a top hat and brought a briefcase to school instead of a backpack. Um, <laughs> he, she said he had a, a subtle sophistication about him that made him interesting and a standout. That's, that's cool. Yeah, that's that's one of the best ways you could be described. I think it's pretty cool taking a briefcase to high school, though. That could go one of two ways. You you got to have a certain vibe to pull that off. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. If if the creepy kid that sits by himself at lunch and wears trench coats and shit brings a briefcase right. to school, <laughs> no, nah, let's 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 check that dude out. That's the day but that if, you're in the parking lot. You're like, okay, I'm not going in today. All right. Uh, yeah, senior skip day. Yeah, I'm out, peeps. <laughs> Um, so yeah, we, we, after finding out a little bit about him and you start to get a feel for who he was, it's unfortunate because in 2006, actually the year I graduated, um, his 18 year old brother, Zachary died by suicide after battling depression. So his brother would have been my age and he's more close to your age. Um, and then on March 8th, 2008, so two years later, 18 year old Joshua left his home to go for a walk and never returned. Um, his sister, Kate, said, he told me he was going for a walk. He was an avid nature lover and loved to go for hikes. And uh, he went on this hike that day on March 8th, 2008, and never came back. Um, his family, shortly after, began contacting his friends, searching homeless shelters and campgrounds to no avail. His father, Mike, said, quote, I got up one morning, Josh was there, then he just never came home. The next day, he still didn't come home. I called all of his friends. Nobody had seen him. Nobody knows where he is. I don't know what to do, so I called the police. He went missing on May 8th, and I called the police on May 13th, 2008. Now, they gave him, I'm sure his father gave, gave it more than 48 hours just because knowing Josh's nature of loving nature and being a free spirit, right. as we talked about, they just and assumed that he's also that an adult. Yeah, and he's an adult. He had just turned 18. And mm -hmm. the fact that he had just turned 18 also played into it because he had, for many years, he'd been alluding to his family about wanting to go on some kind of a big adventure at some point. And 18 is when you're going to do that, you know, because there's no one that can stop you at that point. That's right. That's yeah, right. So. And they knew also that he was intelligent. So they figured, you know, 
not only does he have the, the age and the ability, but he also has the intellect to make it on his own out there if he wanted to. Yeah. He has, you know, he has those resources at hand and he was a lovable person, I think, that most people would would love to hire or give him a chance or housing or whatever. So yeah. I mean this is this was not this was not an off the wall theory for their family, in my opinion. Yeah, and we'll, um later his sister talked about their mindset for I mean, because this goes on for years. He goes missing, you know, the police get involved and they put up flyers and everything else, but he's just never heard from again uh, for many years. And the whole time they were, his sister, like years in, was thinking, okay, he's going to, we're going to see him on TV in some band that he's going on a, under different alias, you know, like he's not even using his name to be in this band because he still wants to remain kind of unknown and be able to wander off and and all that stuff like she expected to see him again whether is he returned with a a wife and kids to share with the family or whether he returned or didn't return where they just saw him on mtv in some band or something you know that was kind of like what they were expecting or hoping for i would say yeah that would be awesome but i'm but i don't think but i feel like josh had a pretty good relationship with his family yeah and i don't think he would have had that kind of success without letting them in on it. Right. You know what I mean? He didn't seem like someone who was really tied to materialistic things either. So I feel like he would share that wealth with them. Yeah, even if he took off and went to L.A. or whatever, you'd think he would have called from time to time and just kept him up on what he was doing. Right. We're talking about 2008. There's a million yeah. ways to make contact in 2008. He I could mean. have took out his Razor flip phone and called at any time, you imagine. Right. <laughs> exactly. Or his uh, sidekick, the Motorola sidekick. I'm just thinking right. of the phones that were popular when I was like in my senior year. It was right. all about that the razor. Also, and that was also like the crash of the economy. It's like, Jesus, how far would he have gotten when gas was like $5? Yeah, that's true. God. God and he God. lived in Colorado, which, you know, I'm sure it's not oh. cheap. No, no, no. Higher cost of living. He lived in a nice area, Colorado, too. Yeah. I'm not sh- I'm not sure if the cost of living was like Denver or whatever, but I'm sure it, I'm sure it wasn't cheap. Yeah. Um, uh, Josh's family also pondered if, uh, Josh's brother Zachary's death had caused Joshua to disappear as it had just been the two year anniversary of Zachary's, uh, suicide. And that affected him greatly. Um, Mr. Maddox, who had the two daughters that were, uh, Josh's sisters, Kate and Ruth said, I buried his older brother two years before, and it was so difficult on Josh. When his brother died, it pushed him over the edge. It was a big shock for the family and a big shock for Josh. He thought highly of his older brother. Um, so they that they definitely considered that into it. It's just like, oh no, this is not like a repeat of what happened with his brother. Is it his brother killed himself at eighteen two years prior, right. and now Josh just turned eighteen and he disappears? You know, that had to run through their head like, no, please, not again. You have to consider it though. Yeah, you have to, especially as close as they were, being only two years apart. I mean, the boys grew up together. Right. Yeah. Um, nevertheless, those around him claim he seemed happy and untroubled in the weeks leading up to his disappearance. Um, now let's, let's, uh, talk about something else that played into this later on. Um, seems off the wall, but it'll connect. Trust me. In the 1950s, Chuck Murphy bought a two cabin, uh, bought a cabin two blocks away from the Maddox's family home. Um, also in, in, uh, Colorado in uh, Woodland Park. Mm-hmm. Um, he had previously been owned, this cabin had previously been owned and known as the Thunderbird, Thunderhead Branch, an infamous drinking and dining establishment owned by Big Bert Bergstrom. So this this cabin had some interesting history to it. It was basically like a, a big hangout, like a pub and bar and 
where everyone would would this thing this cabin knows could tell some stories if it could talk you know oh i'm sure i'm sure it's a little yeah, party and, uh, cabin man yeah where it was there, there's not much around it so you didn't have to worry about disturbing neighbors or anything right. like that i mean it was pretty secluded great place for parties my yeah. opinion <laughs> And uh, Chuck Murphy's brother had lived in the cabin until 2005. Afterward, it became a decaying storage facility, which Murphy rarely visited. Um, so it's this cabin in the woods. Uh, actually, I pulled up. I was able to locate. I went. I dove deep into this case and was able to locate the coordinates. Um, and there's still a cabin there that looks just like the pictures. Uh, so I don't know if the cabin never got fully torn down or if so, another one it's a log cabin standing in this coordinates that I found online. So I don't know. Well, I couldn't, I think that's an older photo, isn't it? It's Google street view. So I assume it's been updated. I don't know. I couldn't find a date on it. Yeah. Me either. I know which one you're talking about because, but if you turn around 180 from that Mm -hmm. Google street view and this same link is in a lot of the, uh, like Reddit searches and stuff you'll find. Um, but when you look at it, if you turn 180 from the cabin, there's Mm -hmm. like a, there's like a freshly built house right there. It's like a two-story yep. home. And and I can tell by looking at it that it's it's one of those uh it's, it's modern. It's not a huh? It's more modern, right? It's definitely more modern, but it's also like one of those houses that they would they probably have like three or four different models of. Oh yeah. And they would fill up like an entire neighborhood and like every fourth house looks the same or whatever. Yeah. Like a track home. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's a very nice one. Don't get right. me wrong. Like it's it's very nice, but it's it's definitely it's definitely a track home for sure. Yeah. So that makes me think that that picture is somewhat newer, doesn't it to you? Yes. I mean, I don't know. I'm going to try to see. Do they have a car in the drive? Then again, I mean, there's implication. These coordinates were posted by who knows online and who knows where they got them and it could be it could be a, a cabin that's a few spots down cuz there's empty spaces next to that cabin. It could have been torn down right next to this cabin that also kind of looks like it. You know what I mean? This is like a mm-hmm. woodsy kind of off-grid living type of part of of town in Colorado. This is a small town right. anyway, but this is the more, like when you look at an overhead map of of uh, Woodland Park, Colorado, there's like the incorporated area and then there's this area where you could see on a map it's green, you know, and it's like this is like the woodsy area, but people still live in there. Right. Um, so I feel like this could be a cabin that, is close to where that cabin once stood and we assume it is that one but it just looks it's damn it looks like it though it does look like it but i don't we'll think post it these coordinates it post for these a couple coordinates of reasons. uh copy and paste these into the episode that way people can follow along with us if they're listening on patreon they can okay. click and, and look but yeah if you look at the yeah, pictures look in the notes from this case and then you look at these you know this google map street view it looks a lot like the cabin that you see in a lot of this articles about this case it does um the only problem i have with with this reason i think this is not an older street view i think this is more recent mm-hmm. is because you know in the story and in all the articles they talked about how no one could have he- heard joshua and i feel like if all these homes are here unless there's a unless there's a loud highway nearby right. Or an airport or something. I feel like people would hear him. I mean, this is not a dense forest. Yeah. This area of Colorado is mostly just tall pines, and you know how pines grow; they're very spread out. I mean, true, but also the nature of where he where he was found and where he perished, being inside Mm -hmm. of a as we you know the the episode's called the boy in the chimney. A brick chimney would mask a lot of sound. So. 
But I also, I think that t- it's clear that two-story home was not there back in 2008. No. You know, so. No. There's also that. So, I mean, that may have been no no real houses right or directly around it at the time, and now there's been some built. Right. It could be. Could be. I was trying to look at like a uh, like a sticker on a car uh, tag just to see yeah. what the uh, <laughs> you know what their registration. I was trying to do some deep detective work over here, right? But I, uh, I I can't find a good picture. Oh wait, here's a CRV. Oh, but it's bleeped out. Damn it, Google Maps. What year is the CRV though, bro? Is it a newer uh, one? The CRV I would say is probably 2003 to 2005. Oh, uh, so that's that's undecided. Exactly, and that's the problem unsolved. I'm having. Most most map. of these cars that I see are older than 2008. Yeah. Well, nonetheless, um, Chuck Murphy in August 6, 2015. Now, keep in mind, Josh is still considered missing a missing person at this point. Um, Chuck Murphy began demolishing the cabin for property development. No one had been living in it for a long time. Once in a while, they would go back and check on the property. They did note that there was a stench that was in the house, but they assumed it was dead rodents or something like that. Um, so as would anyone. Yeah. I mean, it's a cabin in the woods. Yeah. You would assume that mice, you know, possums, skunks, Raccoon whatever the something. hell was in there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he, he begins to demolish the property for development. While an excavator tore down the chimney, a mummified body was found, more of a skeletal remains. There was It was badly decomposed. It had clearly been in there for a long time. Um, the body had been in the fetal position with its legs above its head. The remains were identified as Joshua after comparing dental records. So they, they, you know, there was news that came out about a body being found in a chimney, and I'm sure the family and local authorities connected right away because this this cabin was only two blocks away from where Joshua lived with his family, and so they they must have thought, oh, this isn't good, but this sadly could be Josh. You know, just the the I, the fact that it's coincidence that it's two blocks away and they compared dental records and they were able to find that it was in fact joshua according to autopsy reports joshua had no drugs in his system and his body had no sign of trauma there were no broken bones and no knife or bullet wounds so he hadn't been by all you know autopsy showed no signs of foul play no signs no signs of uh homicide Um, okay but I mean, he's basically a skeleton. How are you yeah. going to find drugs in the system? I mean, they find this in 2015. So that's yeah. seven years after Joshua walks away. Yep. Okay. I mean, if this happens, you know, four years after Joshua walks away, you're, he's still been in there for three years. You know what I yeah. mean? You're not going to find, you're not going to find any of this stuff. I found so, so much of this stuff odd. I'm like, why are you even, why is this the thing? You should be asking questions. You should be, you should be interviewing people. There's there's obviously not going to be anything you can find as far as toxicology, right? right. Am, I, am I being am I being crazy? Or yeah, I don't know how they would even that do that. I guess they could, maybe they could test the bone marrow, or I don't know what how you would test for drugs on a skeleton. You know, All right? Your drugs aren't in your bone marrow, right? I mean, I mean if you if it is, you're doing it wrong. I, mean, I don't know. I just <laughs> or don't maybe you're doing it, it right. <laughs> oh, maybe you're doing it right. Maybe you're trying to keep that shit with you. That's the hardcore uh, shit, bro. <laughs> Inject it right in the bone marrow. Right. Not even playing around. I feel this shit in my bones, dog. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Um, The the coroner, the coroner Al Bourne stated that his death had not been instant, most likely having died of hypothermia or dehydration. Quote, Mm, it was not an instant death, Bourne said. 
How, how he died is only a matter of speculation, but we know he did not starve to death because that takes many weeks. See, all this, how do they know that? How do they well, know listen, he didn't die over the course of weeks? How do they know that? Well, how did he get water though? You know what I'm saying? You're going to die. You're going to die without water sooner than you're yeah. going to die without food. That's the only reason. Yeah. So they're Not just, saying, they're, they're just saying that, yeah, he would have, he would have died of dehydration before he would have died of starvation. Exactly. Cause dehydration only takes a takes few days. a lot less time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he said, so then you go down the chain and you have dehydration, which can take just a few days. And the other thing would be hypothermia, which could just take a day or two. We have no evidence to say which came first. Uh, the coroner said that the cabin's location, a wooded area with no adjacent homes, likely made it impossible for anyone to hear the teen's cries for help. Quote, he could have been yelling, but nobody would have heard him. Houses were quite distant, and they probably wouldn't have heard anything anyway because he was. the sound would have been muffled due to the fact that he was in a, in a chimney at the time. Um, right, and near the bottom of the chimney, right? Yeah. He's, he's not, it's not like he's right at the top. Near the he's bottom of the, the chimney bottom. and in front of the chimney, which we'll get to, there was at the time supposedly a fireplace insert, which would have been metal, and then in front of the chimney's hole where you would, you know, build your fire and whatnot, there was a piece mm-hmm. of furniture that was pushed up against that. Um, yeah. And so it was, there was so many things that would have muffled the sound, and also these same things that we're talking about added to the mystery of this. Like, how did he end right. up in this chimney? And this, it just none of it makes any sense. And this piece of furniture was not like a dresser or a desk. It was actually a bar. It was a yeah. bar that had been attached to a wall. So yeah. there, therefore, someone had pulled this bar off a wall and slid it in front of it to make it look like, well, for one, that's a big piece of you know furniture or of wood or whatever it was made out of to move. And it also, I'm sure it looked very permanent sitting in front of the fireplace. Yeah, you know I think Chuck had done this though. I think Chuck had done it as a means of protecting the the home from having rodents get in it and whatnot, as well as the oh, rebar okay. and stuff. Because he didn't act like it was odd that that he knew that that bar was there. Obviously, he had been to visit the property since Josh had been in that chimney, which is probably why it took so long. Like he never discovered Josh's body in there because there was something blocking the chimney. He didn't look up in there because it was blocked by a bar, and he wasn't he i mean he if if the bar was not supposed to be there that would have tipped him off that something was up you know what i mean so i'm I'm thinking he put the bar there and okay. if someone did in fact place josh's body in there they would have moved the bar to the way put him in there and then moved the bar back and that would be a perfect place to, obviously because he got whoever if someone did do this they got away with it for many years um by doing so well, disguising the body yeah. in an abandoned home and then also in a chimney that's blocked by a big piece of furniture or a bar like you said yeah good point um so the the coroner born his theory was that joshua who stood six feet tall 150 pounds had tried to climb down the chimney he ruled this accidental um if this were the case and joshua got stuck he would have been there too he would have been too far away for anyone to hear his pleas and man that would have been just an absolute agonizing death that's one of the worst ways you could ever imagine going your parents your family, your sisters, everybody's two blocks away, but they can't hear your cries, and you basically dehydrate to death stuck in a chimney. Like, just that pain that you would feel of being, or if it was hypothermia, because it was actually very cold, too, which we'll get into. Hypothermia was also yeah. very possible if he did, in fact, get stuck in there. Mm-hmm. Just an absolute horrible, horrible way to go. You can't imagine many ways worse than that. Right. I mean, it was in May, but I would imagine May in Colorado, depending on what your elevation is, could still be quite cold. Especially at night, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, um, Born, so. the the uh, coroner, said that he likely did die of hypothermia if he was, in fact, stuck in there. Temperatures May 8th through 10th in 2008 dipped into the high 20s, according to historic data oh, at God. Weather Underground. So, Yeah. God, that's cold. Yeah, that's that's cold in a brick chimney, too. That's just going to stay cold, you know? Right. That's going to hold right. it. I, I'm, I'm in a brick basement right now, and it's been pretty warm up here where I live, but my basement stays fucking cold in here because of the brick. Right. Oh, yeah. You're going to love that in the summer, though. Oh, yeah. This is where our master bedroom's getting put in. <laughs> there you go. The kids hey, can man, suffer up there in the heat. Cool. <laughs> there you go. No, you got to keep them warm, right? That's how right. you have to click. Yeah, right. sure. The That's kids need is. to stay in the warm part of the house. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, Josh's sister, Kate, after finding out the terrible news that her brother's body had been discovered in this cabin... Um, posted an online tribute to her brother after his body was identified. She wrote in the news of Woodland Park website, quote, sometimes in life our stories don't have happy endings. I'm sorry to say that this is one of those stories. Um, she also said, since Josh was 18, it has been reasonable to assume that he may have decided to leave town to start a new life. As one of his two older sisters, I have always chosen to believe that this was the case. I have expected Josh to return home to my father's house at any time with a wife and small children so that they could meet their grandparents and two aunts. Josh has always been known for his musical and literary talent, so maybe we would find him playing music with a band on tour or catch him writing successful novels under a pen name so that he could keep his preferred lifestyle of solitude in the woods. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it was. They, was this is not what they were hoping for, obviously. Right. Um. However, Chuck Murphy opened things up with this and really made everyone think that maybe this wasn't an accident. The owner of the property, Chuck Murphy, said uh, he vehemently denies the possibility of this death having been an accident. He believes some stu someone stuffed Josh's body inside the chimney, and if this is the case, it would have likely taken two people in order to position Joshua in the way that he was found. Allegedly, the knees of the mummified body were above its head with the hands covering the face and the two legs were dislodged from the torso. Nevertheless, Joshua would have had to enter the chimney head first. Um, there are three main reasons why most people believe foul play is involved and this all kind of began with Chuck because he talked about his property and this chimney and how hard, damn near impossible it would have been for someone to go down it. He said right. um, that... Murphy said that he had installed steel rebar on the chimney to avoid problems with animals and debris. Uh, quote, it was a heavy wire gate, a wire mesh installed across the chimney about one row of bricks from the top, Murphy said. We didn't want trouble with the raccoons and things getting into the chimney. Um, so there was this, this basically steel-enforced gate of rebar up at the top mm -hmm. of the chimney to where if someone tried to go down, they would have they would have seen the rebar and they would have known it was impossible. Now there's always the possibility of decay and the rebar being damaged yeah. or rusting away, rusting yeah. away, which is what Bourne, the uh, coroner said he, he refuted claiming there had been no signs of rebar at the crime scene. However, when the body was found, the cabin was a construction zone. The rebar very easily could have already been demolished and taken away. Um, more yeah, no reasons. Doubt. Because I feel like the chimney is going to be one of the first things you knock off. Yeah. Right? Up top, True. you don't want that falling on somebody while you're knocking out support walls and shit. Yeah. And how strong, if someone wanted to get into this abandoned cabin and, and make this like a hangout spot, how uh, how hard would it have been to remove the rebar? If the brick was decaying, you know, the, the mortar that holds the brick together, whatever. Like sometimes you see old brick structures and it's crumbling. You know, maybe that rebar just but, popped right out. That's possible but, too. 
That right, being said, but- there was a metal insert for there was a if you know fireplaces, a lot of times people put the metal like my my house that I just that I'm living in now had one of these that we had to remove and it was a pain in the ass. But you would have not looked down the chimney and and thought that you could go down like Santa Claus and and just enter into the home by looking down. You would have seen this steel insert and known that you couldn't go in through there. You know, right? And that's what this had. Felt- it had a steel insert, and then it just allegedly had these this rebar mesh cage at the top too. I feel like if somebody wanted to get into this cabin that bad, he would just go through a window. Or I mean, even if they're yeah, boarded up, it's still easier to take a board down. Yeah. If this cabin is so isolated from exactly. view and from vision, it, it, exactly. I mean, I'm sure bar, the bro. windows were boarded, like you said, but pulling a board off a window is a hell of a lot easier than going down a chimney, yes. even if it didn't have a fucking mesh, you know, wrought iron freaking cage and an insert. Right, and we haven't even got to the point that where we. Where he wasn't wearing any pants. I mean, that yeah, makes that's even that's less the sense. smoking gun there for me. Yes, absolutely. No way I'm going down a chimney, and no way I'm going down a chimney with no pants on. Right. <laughs> Hell no. Right. That's just asking for it, bro. Um, secondly, uh, we'll keep going through the evidence that that made people believe that there was foul play here. Uh, we talked about a large wooden breakfast bar had been ripped away from the wall in the cabin's uh, the cabin's kitchen and placed in front of the fireplace. Um. I believe Chuck knew about that. Um, lastly, Joshua had only been wearing a thermal shirt when he was found. The rest of his clothes, including his socks and shoes, were inside the cabin, folded up beside the fireplace. That inside to me the cabin. Is, it's it's absolute in, in, irrefutable evidence that he did not go down the chimney to try and gain access to this place. Thank it's you. A, it's impossible for him to climb down the chimney, get stuck in there to the point where his head are above, his feet are above his head. And then somehow he takes off his clothes and folds them inside and then dies in the <laughs> chimney. It's impossible. And somehow gets them past the fireplace insert and the bar yeah. and lays them inside. This doesn't make any sense. Yeah. As there's just no way he was trying to go down the chimney. It's just no way. Yeah. It's, and so Chuck Murphy said, it's ridiculous to think the team stripped down to just his shirt, climbed up on the roof, up in the chimney, slid down knowing he'd be trapped. And if he was already in, why the fuck would he go down the chimney? He already got access exactly. into the house. Exactly. Um, just three days after the ruling, Bourne reopened the case, conceding to Murphy's statements. Despite admitting the circumstances were odd, Bourne once again ruled the death an accident, insisting Joshua had tried to descend the chimney himself. Bourne said that he unlikely died, or that he likely died of hypothermia. As we mentioned, the temperatures had dipped into the 20s during that three-day span. Um, quote, we've come up with the most plausible explanation, and it will remain an accident, Bourne said. He did come down the chimney. That's our conclusion. But what about the clothes inside the cabin and the breakfast bar blocking the fireplace and the heavy steel grate blocking the chimney? Quote, we looked at the photos and we talked to Chuck Murphy about his memory of the chimney's construction and we took everything into consideration and we still have no evidence of a homicide. So, Dude, I think you only have evidence of a homicide. Right. You only have evidence of a homicide. You have no evidence of an accidental thing. Yep. I, oh. I just... It blows me away, dude. It blows me away. That kid was obviously stuffed in that chimney. Yep. He did not go down. Still, Bourne said there were not good explanations for all the questions raised. No shit. Quote, the furniture (laughs) in front of the fireplace, we can't answer that question, he said. It would have trapped him in the firebox, but there's no evidence he he was ever in the firebox or went up up the chimney. Well, Um, there's no evidence now, multiple years later. Because one of the articles I, I read, they said... There were no footprints, and there were no like, uh, uh, like marks on the wall or anything like that to show that something had brushed up against the wall. I'm like, of course not. 
Right. The kid could have been in there for seven years. Yeah. You don't exactly. think a little bit of dust has fallen and covered up all those all that shit? Yep. In seven years? Like that the just the amount that of dust that's gonna just, build up and all that shit yeah, in seven years is gonna cover up any of that enough. stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, as for the steel grate at the top of the chimney, Bourne said it could have disintegrated over the years due to rust and corrosion from uh, creosite building upon upon it, and the effects of rain and snow or a chimney sweep may have removed it. So you're you're conceding to that, but the whole idea of well, we didn't see any footprints or whatever. It's like you're saying that the, the, the erosion and the buildup could have been enough to ruin a steel grate, but you mm-hmm. know we didn't see but any footprints, footprints or anything. Oh God, no footprints, man. They're in stone. Once you step somewhere, <laughs> shit, right. fuck you. You should have been there. <laughs> you better make sure you should have been there. <laughs> right. Um, Born went on to say, nobody saw the metal mesh. We didn't see it in any of our photos. It may have disappeared. Yeah, that's likely. Yeah, exactly. And there's no I mean, explanation. Honestly, Go ahead. how big is the top of a chimney opening, really? It's really not that big. What would you say, two foot by two foot max? Yeah, 24 inches maybe. That tiny piece of metal could have easily got lost in debris. And you know they're not they're not picking up these bricks by hand. They're grabbing them with a freaking bulldozer or a claw or whatever and putting them straight in the dump truck. Right. It's it, that grate was there, man. Just nobody wanted to look for it. Yeah. It was easier to just to, to rule it a, an accident, you know. It's been so many years. It's like let's just move on. If the if someone did do this, then you know, we're never going to catch them and let's just rule it an accident. I think that was just a it was laziness essentially. Absolutely. Um, there's no explanation for why Josh may have stripped to his sh- just a shirt, climbed on the roof, and dropped down a chimney. He was in, he knew was blocked. Quote: This one really taxed our brains. Bourne said, "We found his clothes just outside the firebox. He only had on a thermal t-shirt. We don't know why he took his clothes off, took his shoes off, and socks off, and why he went outside, climbed on the roof, and went down the chimney. It's not it was not linear thinking." Meanwhile, the police had been receiving tips from people who claimed to know of a person who had allegedly bragged about the killing of Joshua, which is when this thing got even more interesting. Um, It was already crazy enough, but then Reddit comes into the fold, and that just can really open things up, as we know. (laughs) Yep. And that's the the wormhole we went down was the Reddit wormhole. It's a big mistake sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. Or sometimes it's a great mistake. Um, Yeah, like this one was just fun to just dive into this and start learning about this person who I think is a psychopath. So although police ignored the tips at the time, one of those tipsters wrote a Reddit post explaining who their suspect was. And this stems from a Reddit topic that was posted in 2005. And the topic was people who have known murderers, serial killers, etc. How did you react when you found out? How did it affect your life afterwards? And this post can still be found and we'll post this link in our episode. Um, And you can see the top comment was posted on October 29th, 2015, not long after the topic was posted. A Reddit user who we won't name, we don't want to go down that, um, responded saying, quote, I went to high school with this skinny, dorky, hippie kid named Andy who played guitar in a band. I was never good friends with him or anything, but a year or so after I graduated, one of my friend, my good friends, Josh, started hanging out with him and then went missing. Last I heard, Andy was telling another friend, quote, yeah, me and Josh have been spending a lot of time together. We're planning a trip to New Mexico. Um, mm. The Andy that this user on Reddit was referring to after further investigation by Reddit and this person posting again later uh, came to be known as Andrew Richard Newman, a California native who had gone to school in Colorado with Josh and they had become mm-hmm. friends, people... Uh, People that knew Josh knew that he was hanging out with this Andy kid. 
Right. Um, and Andy was known in Colorado at the time to be a, a cool, fun kid, much like Josh, but he apparently say, had most some of the people... darkness in him. And he, I believe, is a psychopath because of some things that we know he did later. Right. Well, most of the people that commented about Andy and stuff, a lot of people that went to high school with him had good things to say. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They were like, he was really cool. You know, we played some concerts together. And then this one girl commented and she was like, uh, we danced together at prom. He was really sweet and stuff. But I mean, that's typical psychopath behavior, in my right. opinion. I mean, being able to turn it on and off is. Yeah. Uh, is and key. Rule had almost nothing but good things to say about Ted Bundy and her, you know, working with him at the Suicide Hotline Center. But there he, you we go. know what he did. There you go. Um, after high school, um, he had become a, no, no, a nomad. This Andy character had become a nomad and had various criminal charges against him, including assaulting a police officer, disorderly intoxication, grand theft, and battery. And also he had uh, gone on to murder at, at least two people that we know of and got away with it. Um, though Joshua did not go with him uh, to New Mexico, Andy went to New Mexico in 2009. Did he? <laughs> not long after New Mexico. Joshua had sure. ended up in the chimney two blocks away from his home. Right. Um, that would have, that timeline fits too. You think if he killed if he killed Josh and put him in that chimney in that abandoned cabin in 2008 when Josh went missing, 2009 mm -hmm. taken off to New Mexico makes a lot of sense, right? Getting out of the area. Absolutely, it does. Um, probably where kids at high school and shit were starting to talk. Mm -hmm. There were probably a lot of rumors in the town. I know it seems quiet when you go back now and look right. at the news and what they did and what they found, but you got to imagine. I mean, a lot of people knew who knew Josh and yep. liked Josh. I don't think it was very quiet in his town. I think he was starting to feel the pressure right. and needed to get out. Especially since he'd been talking about hanging out with him so much and that they were going to go on this trip together. Exactly. And everybody knew he was the last one with Josh. Yep. At least like people like friends, you know, like not so much the family. I think Josh no, was no, probably, no. you know, not sharing some of that stuff with his family at the time. But Right. Um, so Andy would go to New Mexico. He would end up staying with a friend of his, James Willetto, who was a caretaker of a disabled man. While the three men were at the apartment, Willetto went to take a shower. When he got out, Andy was gone, and the disabled man had been stabbed to death in the living room of this apartment. So Andy had killed this dis disabled man. Who knows why? If he wanted to, to say, rob the, if he no wanted reason. to rob him or anything like that, he could have done it, which makes me think, you know, this guy's got to be a psychopath. He seemed to kill people just for the pleasure of it. Yep, as a, for the high of it, probably. Yeah. Uh, months later, Andrew was taken into custody after he was reported wandering around Texas County, knocking on doors, asking for water or food. After processing his fingerprints through the system, it was revealed that he was wanted for the stabbing in New Mexico and also a burglary in Washington. He has a criminal record in at least six states. Furthermore, Andrew confessed to killing a woman and stuffing her in a barrel in Taos, New Mexico. However, police had already arrested someone for the woman's murder and decided to charge them instead of Andrew, which just fucking blows my mind that this guy got away with murder twice and, po and most likely three times if you believe he killed Josh like we do. Because Dude, didn't he, they find he, fingerprints there as well? Yeah, and he was never charged for the murder of of uh the, the the disabled man at his friend james's apartment either somehow right. he was awaiting uh he was awaiting awaiting being transported back to new mexico because he was down in texas at this point and he, and he never got brought back to new mexico to face the murder charges and as far as i could tell as far as late as march of 2019 i found some information on google that 
they didn't realize that this guy was connected to you know, Colorado, a boy being killed at New Mexico and all this stuff. In Brazos County, Texas, in March of 2019, a detention officer was struck in the eye by the head of an inmate as they were falling to the floor. It was 30-year-old Andrew Richard Newman of Colorado who had been in jail since December 1st on a burglary warrant from Florida. So he'd gone down to Florida uh, sometime, who knows when, in t- maybe 2018, and was arrested for assaulting three officers there. And so, so this guy is just bouncing around, still committing crimes, and he hasn't b- faced the music when it comes to the murders that he's done. So so you're saying he head-butted a police officer in Texas? Yep. In Brazos County, Texas, in March of 2019, I found this on Google, and I've, I haven't f- seen it posted in Reddit or anything like that. It just I Googled his full name and went down Google's search history, and it, it just seems like in Texas, in Brazos County, they don't really realize what they have. You know, they realize they've got a career criminal, but they don't know that they've got a they've guy got a that's murdered several people and hasn't been brought to justice on it. Dude, they have a serial killer. Yeah, a serial, a they fucking really full-blown serial killer. I mean, Joshua, the lady in, in New Mexico, and then the yep. guy in New Mexico at least. Yep. Oh, yeah, and then he's gone down to Florida like Ted Bundy did at one point. He's been bouncing around the country. Who knows how many people he's killed? He's been in Washington, and if he's yeah. burglarized in Washington, what? who's to say he didn't kill somebody while he was up there? Yeah, he's Anybody basically doing the Ted Bundy him. tour. He's hitting all the same I mean, states Ted Bundy killed people. Oh, my God, you're right. Colorado, fucking Washington, and Florida. Those oh are like God. the three hotspots Ted Bundy was. That son of a bitch. But, that dude, uh, when you look March up his of headshot, too. March of 2019 is the most recent news I could find on this guy, and who knows where he's at right now, if he's still in, in jail in Texas or if he's walking the streets. I don't know, but he he needs to he needs to answer for some of the stuff he's done. You know, he needs to be in prison. Undoubtedly, Absolutely. and I, I, I truly believe that him and Josh were hanging out, doing their, uh, doing the the kind of roaming thing with their guitars, hanging out and whatnot. And they found an abandoned cabin not far from Josh's house. They went inside, probably through a window, hung out in there, and this guy struck and killed Josh and put him in that fireplace and put that bar back in front of the fireplace where he wouldn't be found for another seven years. Well, dude, what's with the clothes thing though? The only thing that makes sense is that he was killed as far as the clothes thing. That's to me, like I said, the smoking gun. It's just like that to me says 100% he didn't willingly go down the, the fireplace. He was put in there because you wouldn't take off your clothes, fold them up. Even the coroners just had to have felt stupid saying that. I don't know. I don't know quite why he folded up his clothes and then went outside, climbed on the roof and went down the chimney. doesn't make much sense to me, but it's an accident. What? Okay, but what I'm, what I'm trying to say is why do you think his clothes were off? Maybe uh, Andy, maybe Andy took them off uh, and wanted to keep the clothes, or I, maybe he tried them on didn't want. I don't know. I have no answer for that. But it makes it, a killer doing that. You can somewhat reason with, as opposed to you know Josh doing it mm-hmm. and then climbing into the chimney. I, I don't know. Do you think maybe Andy, maybe Andy would try to make a move on him or something? And then Josh wasn't for it. Maybe the same thing with the disabled man. Maybe he, maybe Andy took advantage of this disabled man. And then, so he wouldn't tell, he killed him and then dipped out. Yeah. who know, I don't know. I don't know what his motive is. The motive is the questioning. That's the thing to me that makes me think about him being a psychopath. It's just like, it seems like he's killing people, as we said, just because he wants to kill people. It doesn't seem to be for robbery or any other motive. He's killing them seemingly for no reason. Right. 
if he wanted to rip off Josh, he could have ripped off Josh. If he wanted to rip off the disabled man or even the, the, the friend of his in the apartment, the guy was in the shower. He was vulnerable. He could have taken anything he wanted and bounced. No doubt. So uh, Yeah, there's just something weird about that, man. I don't, maybe he just had these impulse. Maybe he had, uh, you know, like we hear a lot of killers talk about, maybe he had these blackout episodes Yeah, where he just blacked out and then when he came to... Things look like this. Things people were dead, and sadly, we're not know. getting answered because he's not faced. He's not forced to give us answers. He's not being brought on charges for these murders, as he should be. Yeah, this is this is this is maybe if he was in prison, either on death row or facing a life sentence, he would start talking about why he did these things. But we're not getting that. That's right. Yeah, I mean, if they threatened him with death row. I mean, I really think, but but at the same time, you don't have anything, though. I mean, other than the testimonies of a few high school kids, yeah, you know, from 12 years ago, you don't really have anything. What you do have, though, is you have plenty of evidence that he killed the man in New Mexico, and he even confessed to killing the woman in Taos, New Mexico. Now, that's right. And that's, instead, that's they true. decided, police decided to just charge someone else because they, it was easier, which blows my mind. That's the scariest thing. Imagine being that guy. Holy right. shit. Like now, I'm sure, I'm sure they it. have reason. <laughs> right. right. I'm sure they have reason to believe whoever they have. I'm not saying that yeah. they just pick some random guy off the street and we're like, oh, your fingerprints were on the barrel. He's like, I'm the delivery guy. Right. You know, I don't think it was something like that. I feel like this guy probably has a criminal past as well. I'm not saying he, he does or doesn't, but probably. Guy so was probably they, the sure owner of the barrel company and his name was stamped on it. And they're like, Samsonite. That's definitely him. That's definitely him. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, yeah. It's just there's just a lot of uh, a lot of shoddy police work in this one, especially for it to be so recent. That's what struck me. It's like yeah. shoddy police work in the '60s and '70s, '80s. I'm like, you know, that's that's par for the time. I get it. Like it still sucks and it's bullshit, but I get it. But in 2008, mm, yeah, dude, I just feel like there's more they could have done in 2008. In yeah. 2015, rather, when the body was found. 2015, that's just five years ago. What I do find <sighs> odd is the position of Josh's body. I do find it weird that he seems as though he, like the position his body's in, it sounds like someone who got stuck in a chimney, you know? Like if you were, let's say you killed Josh and you put him in there, why would you take the time to position him in that way with his feet above his head? You know, it uh, that that part is the one part that made me somewhat question whether he did get stuck in the chimney because it just seems like you're already blocking it. You're it's already an abandoned cabin. It's already like you're minimizing your chance of the body being found anytime soon by it being an abandoned cabin. And then the fact that it's in a chimney that's blocked by a large furniture item, like you don't need to then also place the body in this odd position up inside the chimney like that. Huh. Maybe that's just how it how he happened to get stuck. Maybe that's just how it, when he pushed him in there, that's just how he ended up. Maybe he was dead before he put him in there. Yeah. Because listen, if if he strangled him, there's not going to be any evidence of that on a skeleton. Right. If he's there's a there's ways he could have killed Josh and then put his body in there. And I don't know, or maybe. Isn't it? The, he, isn't there like the hyoid bone or something like that? That usually there is a small bone in your neck that uh, indicates strangulation, but it doesn't always 
it doesn't always like it's not it doesn't always break i think it's more on smaller necks like women and children that the hyoid bone breaks when you strangle them okay i could i, I don't know i could be talking on my ass but i feel like we've studied enough uh true crime books and stuff and enough strangulations but who knows after seven years how how small that bone is if it, i don't know it's it's tough. They didn't say that they they didn't say that there was no signs of strangulation. They said there was no signs of gunshots, stabbings, things like that. So, right. That's, they didn't rule out strangulation as a possibility. They didn't say exactly. that. So. And that kind of that kind of weirds me out a little bit. Mm-hmm. That they didn't. I feel like uh, I don't know. It just it just seems strange to me. And I also thought, you know, if he died in the chimney. And he couldn't get out. If if okay, let's just humor him for a second. If he did get in there, the the fact that he's in the fetal position, he could have he could have been able to pull his knees up maybe to the fetal position just to just to stay warm. Because maybe he thought the longer I could stay warm, the better chance I have of of surviving this. Right. I don't know. Or maybe somebody tried to get him out, and they accidentally pulled his shoes and shit off his pants. I don't know, maybe he was in there head first and somebody tried to grab him and they were holding him and then his freaking pants and shit slid off. If that's the case, if they were trying to help him, then why didn't they go get help, you know? I don't know. So the idea of someone trying to help him and then uh, being unsuccessful, but then just leaving him there to die and then never say anything, (laughs) like that's less likely than them murdering him, you know? Yeah, it, it really does. Or maybe Josh fell and died going down the chimney somehow maybe he but then how does his clothes why were his clothes off and folded up that's the that's big what I'm question saying. I'm, to what I'm saying maybe when the guy was trying to help him right he, yeah. he he was holding his pants while he's hanging down the chimney for whatever reason i don't know what the hell you're doing this anyways i'm just i'm just i'm just shooting the shit here throwing some shit right? at the wall seeing what sticks hey it doesn't hurt to brainstorm right okay and say say his pants slide off maybe his shoes do too because in 2008 it was cool to not tie your shoes right so everything slides off, whatever. Was You're it? wearing those stupid ankle socks. Okay. And then everything slides off, and then he's down in the chimney, and maybe he crashes through the grate or something else that's in there, and he's knocked out. And then yeah. that person thinks he's dead, so they panic. So they go inside. They take his clothes. They fold all his clothes up. They leave him there, and they dip out, especially if it's this dude who's already been killing people. What does he care? Yeah, but why? Did, I still don't understand why you panic and then you take his clothes and you fold them up and then you. I don't understand that part. I don't understand that. Either. And I'm just I'm upset just... now that I, I I now realize why I wasn't cool in high school because I was tying my shoes like an asshole. Apparently, I had no idea it was oh, cool to not ass. have your shoes tied. No oh, idea till just now. Wow, dude, you tie those little knots on the ends, dude. Just so you yeah, can just no, slip them everything right makes in. so much sense. Why everyone avoided me in high school? Now, man, fucking walking around with my shoes tied like a dick. Shoes are so important, bro. They look. It was like, look at this stuck-up motherfucker. This guy with shoes doesn't want his shoes falling off. Oh, what are you going to chase somebody today? Whatever. <laughs> but but fast forward to now, it's like I always want my shoes to fit good, just in case I have to run or chase somebody. You know? Right? Yeah, you got to be ready. Some, at all somebody times. snatches my kids, they're going to be in for a fucking race. Yeah, that's you know right. What I'm saying? <laughs> that's right. And that's my a perfect way to wrap bitch. this one up. I think is with some jokes and. Uh, Bring some levity yeah. to it, but yeah, definitely dive into this one, guys, and 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 feedback what you guys, what your theories are. Man, there's just it, I go, I really, the more I look into it, the more I'm just perplexed by it. The position of his body, yet the the clothes folded up, and then also, when you, and then when you start hearing about this fucking character, man, the, this Andy, this Andy character, 
Um, Andy Richard Newman, look into him because it's just amazing to me that he could potentially be walking the streets right now and he could be anywhere knowing his nature of just being a nomad. He could be in your city right now and you don't even know. No one seems to be fully tracking him, you know? Yeah. He pops up when he gets arrested. There's a little article about him and then he's gone again. Right. It's, it's creepy, dude, but it's absolutely possible. You're right. He, He could be anywhere. Yep. And you know, another thing that I find frustrating in this case is the more articles you read, the more you find discrepancies in the position of his body, right? Some like In some articles, it makes it almost as though he was folded up. So let's say he was sitting on the chimney, right? And then mm-hmm. he went like ass first and then kind of folded up in there. Yeah. And, and then his legs would be above his head, right? Because And then they would be dislodged because the body would be sliding down there. Yeah, and you would think he would fall head first at that point, right? Do what? You would think he would fall head first at that point, right? Once your feet get above your head, you're that much closer to being able to... Right. Right. And that would also... I think that would also give a little insight into the legs being dislodged. Because if you're sliding down like that and then your legs were dislodged from your pelvis, then that would give you the flexibility to then bring your head on down. And your spot, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's it's a hard way to think about it, but there was a there was a YouTube video where somebody had illustrated it. They like created this little reenactment. It's like yeah. animation of it, and that's kind of how they had it. And it was interesting to see that, to see the the movements. I the can see that- from a spinal perspective. Once you're once you're in that position where your neck, say your head is pinned to your 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 chin is pinned to your chest, right? Yes. And your feet are yes. above your head. You're not getting from there, if you're really wedged, you're not getting your head pointed down anymore because your spine is just not going to allow it. Your neck would have to break or your, your back would have to break. And you know, it would also be very difficult to yell if your chin is jammed against your yeah. chest. It would. You could really could get stuck like that. I could see it. Yep. it. Just depending on your body size, the size of the chimney. He was a slender kid and tall which I'm sure mm-hmm. would just make it, once you're wedged, you know, with that kind of length, it's going to be tougher. Yep. Oof. That I mean, either way, it just doesn't sound like it was uh, a good end. Um, it sounds... Let's, I almost hope he was killed, in a way. That sounds fucked up, but at the same time, it's like I feel like that would have been a lot quicker way to go to be strangled than to it, what the what the coroner says of him dying from hypothermia or dehydration, being stuck in a chimney like that, you know, the pain, like just how painful it would have gotten after a while to be stuck in that position. And then you're freezing to death or you're so, you know, you're dehydrating to death. It was be horrible. Dude. And you're not even, we haven't even really touched on the possibility of insects, bugs. Yeah. uh, You know what I mean? Things on your body feeding on him as he's dying. Like that's just, that's rough. That's a hard. Way it's to it's go, like man. 127 like hours with James Franco. You know the the guy that was stuck in the in the cave out mountain biking, and he ended up cutting his own arm off. Like it was a true story. Oh but yeah. Like that movie, it puts you through like they did a good job of portraying the suffering that you would go through of being stuck like that alone and no one can hear you. Just mm. would be a absolute terrifyingly helpless feeling. Yes, it would. So that's that's awful. Okay, guys. Uh, so, yeah, that's how that episode has to end because from there we go straight to Patreon shoutouts. You know how good we are with segues. Um, so, sorry to end you on that somber tone. That's not typically our style, right? <laughs> we, we, we joked and, 
had fun with names and shit after that. So it, it kind of feels weird to, to end a segment of our podcast uh, in such a somber tone. But nonetheless, that's, that's kind of how that case ended up. Um, but this might help you guys cleanse that palate, kind of turn that frown upside down. I'm going to play you guys the fourth installment of the Palette Cleanser podcast, which is also available on Strange and Unexplained Patreon page. So in this one, uh, just to give you a little bit of insight on the Palette Cleanser, it can be off the wall. Uh, it, it can be anything from random thoughts to atmosphere, uh, to music, to covers, um, anything like that. In this one in particular, um, I do like a little skit at the beginning as well as a cover song, and also talk about The Great Gatsby. So, that's what you're in for. So here we go. Without further ado, here is Palette Cleanser Installment 4. Please open your mind for the purpose of extracting current negative feelings about the world due to your frequent indulgence in true crime. Thank you. Let us begin. Hello and welcome to the fourth installment of the Palette Cleanser. Where am I? You are in our moment in time simulation machine. You mean a time machine? A simulation time machine. So am I going back in time or not? Okay. Do you know what VR is? Yeah, duh. I've seen the Black Mirror too, so don't come at me with that shit. I'm not coming at you with any type of excrement. What the hell? Are we in my high school? Oh, fuck. You once said things were easier in high school. We shall see. What? I never said that. Our records indicate you did. Don't worry. Many of your kind tend to over-romanticize the past because you are instinctively remembering the good things to ensure your own confidence in your past choices, which coincide with the meaning you believe your life holds. Oh, shit. Okay. Wait, what's, what's this in my pocket? In your pocket, you will find a Microsoft Zoom 
MP3 player. It was all the rage among people who could not afford an iPod. Okay, thanks for that introduction. I'm well aware of, of what a Zune is. Let's see, what do I have on here? Dashboard Confessional, Motion City Soundtrack, Gym Class Heroes, some pirated episodes of Family Guy, some pictures I took with a digital camera, and a shit ton of misspelled music artists. Fucking LimeWire. So many arguments over who sang what though in those days. LimeWire and BearShare are to blame. I swear people were purposefully changing names of artists and song titles just to fuck with people. Um, hello? I need you to focus. Okay. You've lost track of why we're here. Yeah, it's kind of distracting. How do you feel? I feel... Notice the moisture in your armpits. Right, I was going to talk about... Staining through two t-shirts. Yeah, I get it. I'm nervous. Notice the elevated heartbeat. Right. I have noticed that. I am me. Okay. Do you want to go back to this inexperienced self? Hell no. I said I didn't from the beginning. What is this? Why do That's people what over I thought. Why Why do people over romanticize the past? The past. In the time I was born, lived a man who sailed the sea, and he told us of his life in the land of submarines. So we sailed up to the sun till we found a sea of green, and we lived. Beneath the waves in our yacht submarine, we all live in a yellow submarine, yellow submarine, yellow submarine. We all live in a yellow submarine, yellow submarine, yellow submarine. Oh, we all live. Yellow submarine, yellow submarine, yellow submarine. We all live in a yellow submarine, yellow submarine, yellow submarine. In the time I was born, lived a man, sailed to sea. And he told us of his life in the land of submarines. We all live in a yellow submarine, a yellow submarine, a yellow submarine. We all live in a yellow submarine, a yellow submarine, a yellow submarine.
So, I started reading The Great Gatsby. The Great, The Great Gatsby, not The Greats. Gats, Gatsby. Jesus Christ. This is going well. Um, my first impression is I really enjoy the point of view of the main character, Nick. I like how he overanalyzes everything, or I guess the author does, rather. I like how he overanalyzes every little aspect of the people's body language and the way they perceive themselves, or at least the way he thinks that they perceive themselves um, in society. Very interesting, those types of dynamics. I'm, I'm very interested in sociology, so I'd love to I love to hear the insights of other people and the little things that they pick up on. So I'm definitely enjoying that so far. Um, it seems that he has moved to Long Island. Um, he's a new resident there. He lives um, on the West End, the West Egg, rather. Um, let's see. What else have I, do I remember? He lives beside the Great Gatsby, obviously, but he doesn't know him. He has seen him out once in his driveway or yard or something um he does he's a little bit he seems to be excited about living in this area but also a little bit intimidated being that his apartment is 80 dollars a month now be it that's very expensive we're talking 1920s early 1920s here so that is that is quite expensive but nowhere near the mansion that is next door with the Gatsby and 40 acres on Long Island. It's like, what is that, like half the island? That's that's crazy. Okay, so anyway, so he lives there. And then um, also during the first chapter, he talks about going and visiting a cousin of his. Um, her name is Daisy. She is also from Chicago area, which Nick is from as well, the main character. He's from Chicago. Um, he goes and visits Nikki, um, like I said, who is his cousin. She is married to a man by the name of Tom. I'm, I'm sorry. He goes and visits Daisy. Nick goes and visits... Am I confusing you enough? Nick is the main character. He goes to visit Daisy. And Tom is her husband. They just had a daughter together. Now, Tom is like the epitome of what a man should be, right? He's... He's the same age as Nick, but he's doing very well. He was a football star in college and a great athlete and just a big brute of a man, a uh, hulking specimen of a man, I believe the book describes him. Um, And it also talks about how he doesn't like the word hulking (laughs) for whatever reason. But um, first impressions of Tom, um, my first impression is... In spite of his large stature and accomplishments, he's still a very insecure human being who is bent on um, paranoia and, um, I don't want to say revenge, but he's he's worried basically that the white race is going to lose power, um, is what I'm gathering. He's very, he's very uh, troubled about that. He's saying that scientifically it has been explained to him how other races are going to rise up and um, overtake the earth. And apparently that is weighing heavy on Tom's mind in the 1920s. Which made me laugh because, I mean, we're still fighting that type of mentality now, right? And he thought it was going to happen then. If he'd have known we'd be well, 100 years from him and still 
fighting for just equality of races, let alone a race that's taken over everybody. We're still, his his race, the white race is you know, still systematically in control. It's, that's just crazy to me. Um, just goes to show, it's like, past romanticism is is a flaw. Everyone in every time has issues. They have their own issues. You have your issues for every place and time that you are. You think back to high school, like I did in the first bit. Obviously, that was a comical way of looking at it, but I believe a lot of people look back to different times in their life and they think, well, those were the good old days. You know, they, they think that. They think that that's a time where I'd like to go back to. Things were simpler. Um, but I'm not so I'm not so sure. When I truly think back to high school and I, I dig up things like yearbooks or uh, listen to music that I used to listen to then or whatever it is and look through it, sometimes I can almost feel the anxiety that I had at that time. The worry that felt like the weight was on your shoulders. Yeah, your problems were small, but it doesn't matter how small your problems were. It just matters how you perceive them. Which is something I try to keep... I keep in the front of my mind when dealing with my children. It's easy to dismiss their issues um, because sometimes they come off as spoiled brats. But the reality of it is that's that's their entire world right now. And it's a very tough thing for them to deal with because their world is so small, but that's not their fault. But it does it does change their perception. So... Okay, back to The Great Gatsby. Sorry, got way off. But anyways, so Tom and Daisy are together, very successful, young, don't necessarily seem happy. And it was also hinted that Tom had a girl back in New York, I guess, back in the New York, in New York City, rather, in the city. There was someone there he's connected to. Uh, she called him during dinner. Um, and then, let's see, what else can I recall? Oh, Daisy and Tom's friend that was living there. Um, what was her name? Miss Baker. Miss Baker. Um, she is young as well, a young woman, a very pretty young woman um, from the wealthier class now, mind you. Much, much wealthier than what Nick is used to. Um, but apparently, Daisy is trying to hook up Nick with uh, Miss Baker. For whatever reason, she's just, I guess, latched on to them to being a couple together. So now she's invested in that um, for whatever reason. I don't know. So, yeah. And I also learned that Nick was in the war. Uh, at one point in time, he mentioned he came back from a war. And let's see. That's how the evening goes, pretty much. They have this awkward dinner. There's vague introductions, and they have a, a few awkward conversations as they all kind of feel around and get to know each other and uh, see what everybody is up to in their life. Because it's almost like Nick is catching up with his cousin, Daisy, and her husband, and then he's just meeting uh, Miss Baker. So it's a, very, it's a very awkward interaction from a lot of them. And after dinner, uh, Nick goes home, returns to his apartment, and when he's there, I guess standing outside, he actually sees... Uh, Mr. Gatsby outside staring at the lake on his property and um, he wants to go talk to him but he says that it, it appears that Mr. Gatsby wants to be left alone 
And then something catches Nick's attention, something out on the lake or something, and then when he looks back, he's gone. The Great Gatsby is gone, right? And then, uh, yeah, so that's the end of chapter one. I just summarized 20 pages in a few minutes of rambling. Hopefully you guys got any of that. All right. Palette. 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 Cleansed. Cleansed. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed that. I know that's uh, something a little bit different, something a little off the wall. Um, If you enjoyed that, there are also five installments of that available on patreon.com slash S&U podcast. So guys, I want to thank you so much for listening uh, and giving all of this stuff a chance, whether you're a freeloader or not. I appreciate uh, we appreciate the downloads, the subscribes, the listens, uh, the reviews, especially. Guys, um, while I'm thinking about it, if you could take a chance, take a second, go leave a review of click five stars or five stars and type something. We'll give you a shout out on the next episode. Um, but from here, I have to do our most loyal sponsor that we've ever had Oh My Gaia. Oh My Gaia. Oh My Gaia is an innovative, all-natural deodorant, fragrance, and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while maintaining effectiveness. At Oh My Gaia, they use only all-natural, paraben, and aluminum-free organic ingredients. Guys, not only do they use the best ingredients, they have the best scents too, which is what you're really concerned about, right? That's what other people notice about your deodorant. You notice how good it works, how you don't smell like sweat, how it goes on clean, how you don't mind the traces of it on your fingers or it doesn't stain your clothes. So you notice those things. But what everybody else notices? The scents, right? So there's tons of scents to choose from. You don't have to smell just like your friend who has Oh My Gaia. They have vanilla, cherry almond, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, Egyptian musk, coconut, dreamsicle, leather, lumberjack, honeysuckle, fireside. Um, And of course, here at True Crime Guys Productions, we have our very own scent called True Crime Pine. Guys, True Crime Pine. Um, If you've been listening to True Crime Guys for a while, you know we used to have the old... um, Headshots logo or mugshots logo, rather. It was Lauren's front face and my side profile. Um, and back in when we first started, that logo there. If you guys can remember that, if you can go back maybe on Instagram or something, see that old that old the very first logo we started with. Um, that logo is on the Oh My Gaia bottle, which is pretty cool. That's how long Oh My Gaia has been with us, and we cannot thank them enough. They are a great deodorant company. Um, especially natural, organic deodorant, guys. You won't find anything better out there. And plus, the jars that they come in, totally usable for other things. You can recycle. You know, you don't have to throw away your speed stick bottle. I don't even know what you call those things when they don't have deodorant in them. Like, that container, that's not even a bottle. It's not really a can. I don't really know what that thing is. That plastic thing with the turn on the... Never in my life have I had to address one of those things empty. Just thought about that. Anyways, it's neither here nor there. But guys, because you're a True Crime Guys listeners, you can use the word creeper, C-R-E-E-P-E-R, for 15% off your order at ohmygaia.com. That's the word creeper, C-R-E-E-P-E-R, and that will get you 15% off at ohmygaia.com, O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com, or at shop underscore ohmygaia on Instagram.
Also, guys, I want to give a big shout out to Killer Queens Podcast. I'm sure you heard their uh, promo at the beginning of this episode. We're doing a promo swap with them. Uh, those ladies are doing awesome work over there. Love their podcast. Love their whole formats. A lot like ours. Uh, they shoot the shit. They make jokes, but they're respectful of victims. And you know, they're just they're just cool ass millennials like me and Lauren, right? Like ourselves. So if you will give them a listen, subscribe, and review as well. Um, guys, speaking of reviewers, reviewers of True Crime Guys, we're going to hit you guys next week uh, in our regular episodes since this episode is already so lengthy. Um, so yeah, you guys will still get your shout-outs. We will still read your reviews um, on a free episode of the show, uh, but not this week. We'll hit you guys next week. Um, what else? What else? What else? Guys, patreon.com slash guys. If you enjoyed uh, The Boy in the Chimney, we have... T- Tons more episodes on patreon.com slash true crime guys. Guys, there's tons of exclusive content on there. Um, I'd say we're probably somewhere around 70 to 80 exclusive episodes that many of you have not heard. Uh, if you if you are freeloaders, uh, also higher thoughts with Michael is an episode that I did. It's a series, it's 35 episodes. Uh, you can listen to the whole the whole collection on there. Uh, is start to finish. I don't have time to do that show anymore, um, but I am doing stuff like the palate cleanser and strange shorts, so it kind of gives me that that freedom of expression there. But if you guys want to check out Higher Thoughts, it's also on patreon.com slash guys. Two bucks a month, guys. You cannot beat how much content is on there, and every month we are putting up a new exclusive episode. All right, guys. So I hope you guys enjoyed this weird formatted episode, this, uh, this collage of TCG Productions Entertainment, if you will. Um, But that's going to be all for this week. We want to thank you guys for tuning in, and uh, we will see you next week with another scam artist. So you guys uh, stay safe out there and uh, keep creeping. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was True Crime Garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder, get murder, get murder. True crime guys. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was True Crime Garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder charming. Yeah.